This morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, Colossians 4, continuing our series on uh, In Christ Alone. You see, if there's one thing you can't miss in the book of Colossians is that it is that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And without him, we would have nothing. Um, is there anyone here who knows the significance of this date? July 20, 1969. Raise your hand if you know the significance. Yes, Bill Reese. That's the first day that man walked on the moon. Apollo 11 landed on the moon on that day. Uh, uh, four days earlier, the rocket blasted off. And in case you didn't hear about it this summer, uh, July 20th, this past July, was actually the 50th anniversary of man walking on the moon. And so there was a lot of celebration. You know, we used to live in Alabama and up in Huntsville, they had a huge deal about it because it's uh, big time with NASA and space and rocket and all kinds of things. But, uh, you know, what's interesting about this uh, this date was that these people had this mission they were trying to accomplish. You know, President John F. Kennedy articulated this goal several years earlier, and he said, uh, the goal is that before this decade is out, that we land a man on the moon and return him safely to the earth. So you see these three guys, these three guys are the guys who are on the rocket. They knew clearly what their mission was, and two of them we know well probably by name, right? Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and then the third one was Michael Collins. And they knew what their mission was, was to land on the moon, set foot on the moon, and then get back to earth safely. They knew what their mission was, but guess what? They didn't do this by themselves, did they? See, there's a picture of what we call mission control. And it's amazing what can happen when you have a whole group of people working together on the same mission, isn't it? And so this whole group of people was helping manage uh, and, and make sure everything happened so that this could happen. And you've seen that picture before. Uh, this, this first step where, where Neil Armstrong said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. They knew clearly what their mission was. It was to get to the moon and set foot on the moon and then get back home safely, which they did four days later when all three astronauts returned home safely. You know, it's been 50 years since that pioneering mission. And this morning, I don't want to just talk about the mission to the moon. I want to talk about another mission, a mission that Jesus left to all of his followers, a mission that Jesus left to his church, a mission that Jesus left to this church, uh, Trinity Church. And that is uh, the mission that Trinity is seeking to accomplish. Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, you look at this picture, you can see what that mission looked like when it was accomplished. But have you ever stopped to think about what will it look like when we've accomplished our mission? What will it look like when we arrive at the destination and when everything is complete? Well, here's one artist's uh, representation of what uh, what John says in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. He's talking about uh, what it's going to look like when the mission is complete. And he said, um, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
Can you imagine what that will be like when one day, if you know Christ, you'll be gathered together with millions and millions of other people who've come to know Christ as their Savior. And you'll be praising Him at the top of your lungs, shouting out with the great multitude. That's what we'll be like at the end of our mission when many, many more have come to know Christ for all eternity. But you know what? We are not there yet. We are still on a mission. Uh, We are still on a mission. We have this incredibly important mission that Jesus has given us, and that is to make disciples. In fact, we say the mission of Trinity Church is to develop wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, A follower of Jesus Christ is someone who loves God and loves others with their whole heart. And so that's our mission as a church, is to develop followers. And, And of course, yes, that begins with us. We are making disciples of ourselves. God wants us to grow and mature in the faith. But he says it goes beyond these four walls. It goes beyond this address. He says, I want you to take this mission out into the world and make more and more disciples. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to look at how we accomplish that mission, how we proclaim Christ alone. Uh, just by way of review, the last couple of weeks, the first week in Colossians, we looked at our worship how we worship Christ alone. And in chapter one, Paul just goes on and on about how amazing Jesus Christ is. He starts there for a a very important reason. Because if you ever forget who it is that we worship, then you lose your motivation, you lose your focus in life. The second week, we talked about our discipleship, uh, how we follow Christ alone, uh, this idea of walking with him one day at a time. And, And he is the only one that we follow. There's many other competing sources out in the world that say, follow me. But Jesus says, follow me alone. We follow Christ alone. Uh, Last week, we talked about our community, how we imitate Christ alone. Chapter 3 of Colossians has so much to say about what a community looks like when it's imitating Christ and the character of Christ, putting on his character. But this morning, in chapter 4, we're going to focus on our mission, how we proclaim Christ alone. Flip back to Colossians 1.28. Paul says this, Him we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Him we proclaim. Who do we proclaim? Christ alone. He is the one that we proclaim to the world as the only hope for their, uh, for their souls. So what I want us to do this morning is look, I think there are three components in these verses that we have here in our chapter today, uh, three components uh, that help us accomplish our mission, three components that God wants us uh, to use in order to proclaim Christ alone. So I want us to read these verses, uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, just follow along on the screens as I read these uh, and, and, and think about what are the things that God wants us to use to accomplish our mission here on earth. Uh, It says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians 4, 2 through 6, this is the word of the Lord. 
So what I want us to see this morning is these three components. And I think the very first thing, the very first component of how we proclaim Christ alone, uh, it begins with keeping this idea of missional prayer, missional prayer. And that word missional, now that's, I want to spend just a second talking about that. That's kind of a buzzword in churches right now. You have missional churches, you have missional communities, missional small groups. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot in churches these days. And uh, what are we talking about when we say missional or missional prayer? Uh, missional means that whatever it is that you're talking about, whether it's a missional small group or a missional prayer, is that you are focusing in on the mission that God has given us, and that is to make disciples, to proclaim him and to draw more people into his kingdom. And so when we talk about missional prayer, we're talking about a prayer that has that same focus of accomplishing this mission of making disciples. I love how Paul says this here in chapter 4. Um, he starts off right there. This is kind of his conclusion to the letter. He's given a lot of teaching. Chapter 3 was all about... Um, how the gospel can go forward uh, if, if if we have the, the character of Christ. And then he shifts into this kind of conclusion. And he says, do this, continue steadfastly in prayer. I told somebody this morning out in the foyer, I said, we're going to talk about prayer today. And he looked at me and said, well, you're not supposed to talk about prayer. You're supposed to do prayer. And he's right, actually. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, one thing you notice in scripture is there are several places that talk about when, when he says, uh, devote yourself to prayer or uh, one version says, devote yourself. Uh, ESV says, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's this idea of continually praying. Um, prayer is one of those topics that if I, if I asked you, if I just kind of sat down with you and, and said, Hey, uh, how's your prayer life going? I can almost guarantee you everyone in this room would have the same answer. Almost everyone in this room would have the same answer. You would say, uh, it's not as good as it should be. Okay. That's what we all say when we, when we're asked about prayer. And, uh, if that's true, uh, then I think it's, it's always healthy for us to take a look at what is prayer and how can we get better at it. Missional prayer is devoted prayer, constant prayer. Um, other texts that talk about this, uh, Paul does this a lot. So, uh, I think it's second Thessalonians five or first Thessalonians five seventeen says pray without ceasing. Now that always used to bother me as a kid. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to talk to my parents if I'm praying to Jesus all the time? Uh, or, you know, how do you pray without ceasing? And that's a, that is a puzzle, isn't it? And so the idea I think is that God's saying, I want you to have this attitude of prayer, uh, basically that you are communicating with me constantly, um, communicating with me constantly, continue steadfastly in prayer, uh, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You know, it's also interesting that Paul asks, uh, we're going to see here in a minute, he asks for uh, prayer for him as he does his work. Um, you might think that this is one of the things you, prayer is something we do before we start to work or something. I would say tell you this, that prayer is at the top of Paul's list of how to accomplish the mission. If you read through the letters of Paul, over and over and over again, he asks for prayer. Pray that God will open a door for us, he says here. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 11, I believe, says, you also must help us with your prayers. In other words, Paul says, you know, if you think about what Paul did, he did some amazing things, right? He took the gospel all over the Roman Empire. And yet he says, I couldn't do this without your prayers. So we work together missionally when we pray. What does it mean when he says to be watchful in it? Watchful in it. You know, when that word is used in the New Testament, Oftentimes that word watchful has to do with being watchful for the return of Christ. 
Um, and so we're called to be watchful, be, be ready. Um, and yet I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. Although, uh, I do think it's important to remember that Christ is returning. And so, uh, here's the point. I don't think you should sit there and just kind of look up in the sky and say, I'm, I'm watching for Christ. I'm watching for him to return. That's not what we're going for here. What God does say is be aware that Christ is returning. And then any opportunity that comes up, you better be watching for these opportunities and notice them. Watch for the opportunities that I bring your way. Notice them and then pray for them. That's the first step is to pray for the things that you see. Being watchful in your prayer. So what are we watching for? I think when we talk about missional prayer, it talks about watching for opportunities to go out and make disciples or watching for opportunities to pray for others who are making disciples. So being watchful is important. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I think this is the fourth week we've spent on Colossians. And this is also the fourth week that thanksgiving has come up in the text. Uh, Not just because we're moving towards the thanksgiving holiday, but because Colossians over and over and over again says we must give thanks. And again, even in our prayers with thanksgiving uh, reminds us of where Paul started the book, doesn't it? He describes the the majesty of Christ, how excellent Christ is, and the work that Christ has done on our behalf. What can we do but give thanks? That's why we celebrate communion regularly here as a church, so that we can continually give thanks to God for what he's done. And so as you're praying for these opportunities, as you're praying in general, God says, don't leave the thanksgiving out. Um, Thanksgiving is one of the most important things we can do in our prayer. Even when Jesus taught us to prayer, uh, taught us to pray in Matthew 6, uh, giving praise and adoration to God is a huge part of prayer. So being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, and, and back in chapter 1, we also saw how Paul gives us an example of what this looks like. You can go back and read probably the first 8 to 10 verses of Colossians. Chapter 1 is a great example of what a prayer of thanksgiving looks like. But then he starts talking about something else in these instructions in verse 3. At the same time, he says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, there's a couple things I notice in there. Remember, Paul just said to give thanks. Where is he? He's in prison. What does Paul have to give thanks for? He's wearing chains on his wrists. They say that usually in the situation with Paul, like when he was in prison and, and uh, had a guard at his house, he was under house arrest, likely all day long he was chained to that guard, like literally attached to him with a chain. Um, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me very long to start complaining about difficult things, especially being chained to somebody else's arm. I think I wouldn't have too much trouble complaining about that. But Paul says, give thanks. And not only that, here's the other thing you have to realize about what Paul's saying. Paul is continually concerned that the gospel goes forward. That no matter what else happens to him, that the gospel goes forward, that more and more people would hear this amazing news about Jesus Christ. And so he says, it doesn't matter if I'm in chains. I'm thankful that God saved me and I want to share that with other people. I'm going to share it with this guard that I'm chained to, as a matter of fact. And we know he did. Uh, He took advantage of those opportunities. So this idea of, of him asking for prayer, you know, Paul says, you also must pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Now, here's the question. When we read this and we say, uh, Paul asks for prayer. Well, 
we can't very well pray for Paul this morning, can we? <laughs> Paul's been dead for a long time. He's not sharing the gospel anymore in person with people. But what we can do to apply this text is think about others who are carrying forth the work that Paul set out on. Uh, pray, first of all, for your church, for Trinity Church. This church is on a mission. We as a group of people are on this mission together. Pray for each other uh, that we would accomplish this mission. When it says pray also for us, I would say pray also for us as a church. Think about the mission partners that we have as a church. What a great tool our missions team has put together for the Christmas season to help us remember that those who are, uh, are, are out there telling the story, you can take an ornament off that tree, take it home and pray for them. Pray for them as they share this good news. Pray for them, especially in the Christmas season. Depending on where they are, Christmas is an incredible time to share the story of Christ, of how he came to earth. Why? So he could die for us and save us. Pray for our partners. Pray for your friends. Pray for your um, for yourself that you would have opportunities to share the gospel. What does Paul say he's praying for? Pray that I would have an open door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in chains. Um, Paul says, I'm asking God to give me an open door to share his word. I would just challenge you, brothers and sisters here at Trinity, pray for an open door for this church, for people you know who are sharing Christ, but don't stop with praying for others. Pray for yourself that God gives you an open door to share Christ with somebody. Pray for these things. And then lastly, Paul asks that they pray for, for clarity. He says, pray that I would uh, make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul also says something similar. I think it's in Ephesians 6. He says, pray that I would present it with boldness. Uh, but here he says he's focusing on clarity. And what does that mean? I think it's important that we give a clear explanation of what God has done for you. And uh, if you've never done this before, if you've never shared with any other person how Christ saved you, uh, let me challenge you to do that. It's a great thing. But also realize this. You want it to be clear, but it doesn't have to be perfect, okay? But it is worth thinking about in your head, what has Christ done for me? If you've trusted him, he set you free from sin, from the penalty of sin, and from bondage to sin. And instead of the penalty of death, which you deserved, he has given you eternal life. He has given you the incredible gift of eternal life um, through his resurrection, and if you can't, and, and I would just challenge you, work on being able to explain that clearly. Uh, and, and we're going to talk a little more about what that looks like. So when we look at this first component, this idea of missional prayer, this is where Paul begins. He says, before you go out and share the word with people, before you go out and share the gospel, make sure that you are praying in these ways for, these, for this very thing. Pray that God accomplishes his mission through you. And guess what? This is one of the tools that God gives the church to do his work. It's prayer. And prayer is a valuable component of how the gospel goes forward. So my challenge for you would be is this, is that that we would make, you know, this is the holiday season. Uh, it's the holiday season. I'm not going to sing that song for you. Uh, but as we move into, into Thanksgiving and Christmas, let's make this not just a holiday season, but a season of prayer. We're turning pages here at Trinity Church, right? Uh, um, there's a lot of new things happening here. And so I would encourage you during the time of, of, of transition here that we would make this a season of prayer, a season of prayer and, and carry that through December into January. Just pray for that new year as well, that God would do great things through this church and pray for some of those aspects that we just talked about. 
you know, there's one opportunity you can do that's really right there in front of you. Uh, every week on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in the room down at the end of the hall, George Road, one of our elders, hosts a prayer meeting. Uh, he leads a prayer meeting just to come and pray for the church, pray for the needs of the body. And I would just invite you to join him there and make this a season of prayer as we see what God wants to accomplish through this church. Pray for the mission that God has given this church. Pray for the souls that God wants to reach through this church. And pray that he would open a door for each individual in this church to share his message. So I would just challenge you, make this a season of prayer. The second thing, though, is uh, first of all, missional prayer is the first component. The second component is missional actions. Missional actions. We see this in verse 5. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And uh, what we see here is this idea of uh, the actual word that's used there is, and some of your translations may have this, it actually says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Well, what does this mean to walk in wisdom toward outsiders? I think there's, um, uh, back in chapter 2, we talked about this where it says, just as you received Christ, so also walk in him. So this is the same word that comes up again, this idea of walking. Uh, and, and I love it. It's an ordinary word because guess what? Walking is ordinary and so much of our life is ordinary, right? You know, I think our world tries to, uh, tries to get your eye caught on the exciting things and on the highlights. And if your life's not exciting, then sorry, we've got no place for you. But guess what? That's not real. That's not real life. The majority of human life is ordinary days where you're walking and going about your life and doing what you're doing. And God says, as you walk, do it wisely. Do it wisely, especially towards outsiders. Now, there's a, it's a very natural thing for us to think about uh, when we get up in the morning, put on your clothes, put on your shoes and walk out the door to think about what am I going to do today? How's work going to go for me today? What am I going to accomplish today? But here God says, uh, make sure your actions are missional, that you're thinking about it in terms of what can I do as it relates to other people? How can I walk with wisdom toward outsiders? How can I walk in wisdom? Wisdom is a big word in scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's this idea in, in Proverbs of living your life skillfully. And so when Paul says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, it means skillfully live your life alongside them. And that means uh, do things that lead them to know Christ. Again, remember, Paul's primary concern is that people hear the gospel. They need to hear this good news. The gospel has to go forward. And he says, so in the way you live your life, do it in such a way that it doesn't get in the way of the gospel. Um, think about things you could do that would get in the way of it. Chapter 3 talked a lot about those behaviors that destroy relationships. It's not wise to walk in those behaviors. That will scare people away. That will push people away from Christ. Instead, Paul says, put on the character of Christ. And when you put on that character, that's the wise way to live. Christ demonstrates the way that humans were, were designed to live for all eternity. So if we put on those things, we are walking in wisdom towards Christ. And we also have Jesus' teaching to reference for that as well, to know how to walk in wisdom. It says making the most of the time. Uh, uh, that kind of harkens us back to Colossians 3.17 where it says, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, whatever opportunity is in front of you, make the most of it for the purpose of sending the gospel forward. 
for the purpose of making disciples, whether that's a disciple of yourself or a disciple of others. Um, this week, there's kind of a phenomenon that happens in America, right? The day after Thanksgiving is called Black Friday, right? So you have all these shopping deals and people line up at midnight for the stores to open. Why do they do that? It's because they know there's an opportunity to go get a really great deal on a new iPad or a new computer, a new TV, or whatever it is that you want and you just feel like you have to have. You won't be using it at this time next year, but you have to have it, okay? Uh, so on Black Friday, we understand this, that when you see an opportunity to get a deal, people will do anything to go get that opportunity. And I think Paul says in the same way, keep your eyes open, be watchful. When you see an opportunity to present the gospel, do anything you can to present that gospel in a way that resonates with the people. In other words, how, you know, I can think of several times in my life where I felt the Holy Spirit kind of prompting me and saying, hey, there's kind of an open door for you. And I'm like, oh yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm the right guy for that. I think somebody else could do a better job. And guess what? The opportunity goes away. And God says, I have gifted you. I've put you in this place. And when he gives you an opportunity, seize that opportunity. Another thing, way you could say this is seize the day, right? God says, I'm giving you different opportunities at different times in your life. So watch for those opportunities, just like we watch for those sales on Amazon. Uh, watch for them. And when they come along, seize them. Go for it. Share the gospel. Take the opportunities. Missional actions. Who uses their time in this way, though? You know, a lot of us have other jobs we're doing. You know, not everybody's doing a quote-unquote ministry job. You might work in a shop, right? You might work in a mechanic shop. How do you do missional actions when you're working in a mechanic shop? Or when you're uh, working in a bank? Or if you're a doctor, how are you doing missional activities in those situations? Well, I think what we have to realize is that God doesn't want every single person to quit their job and go become a pastor or become a missionary. Now, he might want some of you to do that. I'm not going to rule that out. But not every single person is called to do that. God says, I want you to have missional activities, missional actions wherever you are. That means whatever action you take, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, you are thinking about how that can be used to make disciples. So how can I use this activity to accomplish my mission? So I would encourage you just look at all your activities, all the things you do in a given day, and think about how is this helping me accomplish my mission? And some of the things you might see, might, you might say, well, actually, this is, this is keeping me from accomplishing my mission. And then you might need to do a course correction, right, an adjustment in where you're headed. But look at all your activities on a weekly basis and say, how can I use these activities to accomplish the mission that God has given me to make disciples? That's what it means to have missional actions, that whatever action you're doing somehow is that feeding towards making disciples. For example, this week we're going to travel for Thanksgiving. And I, I was thinking about this. I was like, I'm going to be eating turkey this week. How can I make that a missional activity? Is it possible? I don't know. Uh, but I think the goal is this. If you're spending time with family, maybe that's something God's using to recharge your battery so that you have energy to come back uh, to wherever you are uh, and continue on this mission. Maybe, maybe some of you are going to be spending time with family this week that don't know Jesus. Um, and he's going to open a door for you to share the gospel with them or to demonstrate the gospel to them. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but God does say that he wants all of our activities to be a part of his mission that he's given us 
to build his church. So missional actions. And then thirdly, missional words. Uh, there's an old saying, I think that's attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, where he says, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, guess what? Whether you've heard this or not, no, we actually don't think Francis of Assisi ever said those words. We don't really know where they came from. And guess what? It is always necessary to use words, okay? Actions are important. We are called to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed. Look at the book of Acts. But wherever deeds are happening, words always go with them. God wants us to explain his word, to proclaim his word, and to use missional words as we see here in chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious speech would again be like what we talked about in chapter 3. Speak with kind words, loving words, forgiving words, words like Christ would have used. Uh, and, and the other thing about gracious speech would be if your speech is characterized by grace, this means sometimes you're saying words to people that they don't deserve, right? Maybe you think they deserve to be shouted at or yelled at or spit at. But God says, use your words graciously. As you think about this thing of sharing the gospel and looking outside yourself and taking the gospel forward, gracious speech is so important to demonstrate God's grace. It says seasoned with salt. What does that mean? This is actually a metaphor that was used in the ancient world. They talked about salty speech. When I was growing up, I always thought salty speech was something like what sailors spoke. That meant it was like a euphemism for a lot of cussing. But that's not what we're talking about here, okay? Salty speech is like well-seasoned speech. It's like savory. Um, it's delicious. It's desirable. It's not bland. And so... uh Basically, when you're having conversations with people, particularly conversations about Christ, uh, graciously present and proclaim the truth about Jesus in such a way that's attractive. Is it, is it something you enjoy? Then try to share how enjoyable it is for you to know Christ. You know, I, I recently, uh, one of my daughters had a, a science project and she bought these unsalted peanuts that she was doing an experiment for, with. And I accidentally opened up a bottle of unsalted peanuts and popped them in my mouth. And what a disappointment, right? You're expecting a good salty snack, and there are these bland nuts that taste like nothing. Um, and then you have to chew it up and swallow it. Uh, but it's, it's not what we're supposed to be, God says. You're not supposed to be bland, boring. Uh, you don't have a bland and boring message. This is the one message that can change people's life for eternity. And so in your speech, as you talk to people who don't know Jesus yet, uh, use words that are kind, loving, forgiving. You know, the goal is not to win arguments, especially when people will argue with you about your faith. If they want to argue with you and say, well, that cannot possibly be true, your goal is not to win that argument. Your goal is to present the love of Jesus Christ, and your goal is to make a difference, not to make a point when you're sharing the gospel. Does that make sense? Make a difference. Don't try to make a point. And so... Um, I think your challenge here on this point is to speak to someone this week about Jesus. Speak to someone about Jesus this week, whether that's somebody in your family, someone when you're traveling. Um, it could be a believer, but I would say always every week, every single week, every single day, be thinking about, are there people around me who don't know Jesus yet? And guess what? You may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet. 
I want you to know he is the most amazing person you will ever meet and the most amazing person you will ever know. And I would love to talk to you about him. Some other folks here would love to talk to you about him. Uh, Don't leave here without talking to someone about Jesus if you don't know him yet. But I think what we see in this passage is Paul says all through Colossians, all through Colossians, we've been looking at how we worship Christ, how we follow Christ, how you can kind of grow and become complete. When we get to chapter 4, he says, you have to also look outside yourself. Look at the world around you, how you can draw them in. And I think through these three things, missional prayer, missional actions, and missional words, these are the things that God gives us uh, to share his gospel and to carry the mission forward. You know, there's a verse at the very end here of the book. Uh, it's the second to last verse, Colossians 4:17. Uh, Paul says, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And so this morning, I would say the same thing to you. See to it that you that you fulfill whatever ministry it is that God has given to you and do it in the Lord. Do it in his power. Proclaim Jesus Christ alone so that many more souls will come to know him. Back to Colossians 1.28, Paul says, He is the one we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So brothers and sisters, this is our goal, to struggle to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ alone, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so every time someone comes to know Christ, mission accomplished. And every time someone takes a step of growth and becomes more mature in Christ and gains victory over something in their life, mission accomplished. But guess what? One day, Christ will meet us in heaven and the mission truly will be accomplished. The entire mission will be accomplished And he will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you will, stand with me as we close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to worship you this morning. God, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the book of Colossians and the way that you've challenged us. Lord, I pray that this would be a church on a mission, that everyone in this church would be as individuals on a mission. And Father, uh, now I, I pronounce this benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. You are dismissed.